0: Chapter Seventeen of Cycling in the Alps by C. L. Freeston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Purely mechanical strength with lightness is a double virtue that is always claimed, and rightly, in behalf of the modern cycle. Weight for weight, in fact, it is the most effective machine yet known to man. Nevertheless, when cycling in alpine regions, one is forced at times to yearn for the impossible and sigh for a machine so strong as to be incapable of damage but which should possess the magical quality of fading into airy insubstantiality as each long ascent is tackled in turn no dread of toil however should be permitted to interfere with the prudent equipment of the cycle a man may have toured in many countries and learned the value of a trustworthy machine but he will never fully realise the degree to which his life depends upon his mount until he has taken it up and down a typical Swiss pass. There must be no possibility of loss of control here, no nerve-destroying fear of something giving way at a crucial moment, when all one's energies are needed for the safe steering of the cycle over a stony patch, perhaps at the very edge of a steep precipice confidence in one's machine can only be engendered by the knowledge that in the first instance it has been judiciously selected and that it has been effectively overhauled before the journey has begun and with respect to that initial requisite it is not enough to quote merely the trite advice as to going to a maker of repute there are makers of repute whose machines won't bear the test of alpine work but whose reputation none the less survives because the hard-riding cyclist is in the minority and because when a breakdown does occur the fact is often known only to the victim's immediate circle of acquaintances i shudder to think of the fate that might have befallen a pair of riders who toured in switzerland on a tandem in the autumn of eighteen ninety nine the very year that i too had steered a double machine over several of the passes i have herein described They had acquired their mount from one of the oldest of cycle-making firms, and had not feared to descend long gradients with feet upon the rests. So far so good, but when they had survived the risks of alpine work, and had returned to smoother roads and humbler altitudes at home, their tandem broke in two as they were riding quietly along a Surrey Lane. The man in front was hurled violently to the ground, and his nose was smashed to the level of his face the wife behind fell on his prostrate body but luckily escaped material injury and when the machine itself came to be examined the lower tube of the fore carriage was found to be of light gauge and absolutely without a liner of the wicked carelessness which allowed such a machine to leave the factory one hardly dare trust oneself self to speak but if the reader's thoughts are suffered to dwell Even for a moment, on the possibility of the fracture having taken place when the riders were coasting down a tortuous mountain road, there will be no further need to emphasise the importance of great care in the selection of a machine. It is not to be assumed that everyone who proposes to undertake a tour among the passes must of necessity provide himself with a new machine. His mount may already embody or be capable of ready transformation to the main requirements of the case and these I propose to detail in the light of my own experience of mountains and cycles alike. The machine should answer in every sense to the description of first class, and have cost a good price as prices go. There may be many cheap machines that are sound, but there have nonetheless been several legal actions which have clearly enough revealed the fact that the cutting of prices is liable to result in the non-provision of liners, and a lack of care the very portions of the frame where care is most required in other words a cheap machine is not only likely to be less efficient than one on which more labour has been bestowed but it is even more likely to be unsafe now that people venture much farther afield than formerly a wheel and also ride more daringly because of the power of the modern brake the stability of the cycle assumes a new phase of importance For hitherto the rider has been ready enough to take for granted the item of strength, roundly speaking, and devote his attention chiefly to the question of gear and crank length, and the type of saddle or tyre. Henceforth it will be desirable, particularly if on alpine touring bent, that he should inquire more closely into the number of liners in his mount, and the resisting qualities of the rims and frame where brake power is concerned. Given a machine of all-round excellence, the most vital factor for consideration is the brake equipment. I have no hesitation in saying that two brakes are desirable, and each of thorough reliability and power. In actual practice it may never be needful to apply them both at once. In fact, as two will hold a tandem on the steepest pass, one may suffice for a single machine, if acting on the rim and capably fitted but two are better than one for reasons of convenience as well as safety. It must be remembered that the descents are frequently of abnormal length and may require the brake to be held on as a drag the whole way. Otherwise one is either unable to coast at all, or else one coasts at too high a rate of speed. This holding of the brake becomes tiring to a degree that is unlikely to be understood until actually experienced and for this reason alone if for no other it is expedient to have a second brake at command and use each in turn thus avoiding a constant strain upon one hand with a tandem i have had my arms numbed almost up to the elbow after many continuous miles of brake retarded descent but whereas two brakes on the double machine often require to be simultaneously in use this is seldom necessary with a single machine Consequently, the hands are never likely to be numbed, as the changes can be rung on the brakes as often as desired. From the point of view of safety, it is undoubtedly advisable to employ two brakes. Nothing is perfect in this world, and a brake is liable to fail just when it is most wanted, especially in view of the amount of work it has to do in alpine country. The man with two brakes may always enjoy, therefore, the comforting assurance that he is doubly protected against mishap, even if he never uses both the brakes at once. But at times he may be glad enough to do even this. There is another factor too, which a rider unaccustomed to Swiss touring would be unlikely to foresee, and that is the rapid wearing of the brake shoes, even of a rim brake. The life of any but a rubber-shod brake is considerable at home, but in the Alps one may wear it more on a single pass than in six months of ordinary touring with two brakes, therefore the wear on each is reduced by one half if both are used at once or with regular alternations while if either is used continuously and is quickly wore down it is exceedingly consoling to have the other in reserve when one has realized as is certain to be the case ere long that the grip of the brake is not equal to the occasion and the machine begins to run away with many forms of rim-brake, moreover, the blocks of vulcanite or leather are liable to drop out. I lost one, for example, on the Juliet Pass, but fortunately had provided myself with duplicates, and that these should be carried is essential for this reason as well as that of rapid wear. In a single week, I may add, I have worn out the shoes of the back and front brake alike on a tandem, and the same period may represent the life of a single brake, if used continuously on a safety in the districts adjoining the engadine as regards the type of brake i think that each should act upon the rim as tyres may soon be torn into tatters if an ordinary spoon be utilised on long descents the front brake should be actuated by a secondary or pull-up lever and special care should be taken to avoid that type of shoe that is set parallel to the rim at every period of the pressure The blocks should be parallel when at rest, but when the brake is applied, they should meet the rim tangentially, and be drawn on by the revolving wheel. Not only is their application much more gradual, but it is 50% more powerful than the other type, which has also the grievous disadvantage of being incapable of delicate application. At one moment it appears to be wholly ineffectual, though actually in contact with the rim, and then, with the least degree of additional pressure which the hand can apply, the brake locks the wheel. I have met with several brakes of this annoying species, and the only type that can be accounted satisfactory is that which approximates to the excellent Linley brake, which is fitted to the front wheel of the Whippet machines. If the Linley brake were sold as a separate article, it would be a fortunate thing for those who use other machines than the Whippet on alpine journeys at all events and in my own case, I had often caused during my last tour among the passes to congratulate myself on having persuaded Mr. Linley to fit his brake to the front wheel of my rally tandem. With a Bowden brake on the rear wheel in addition, I was never short of retarding power, and the only way in which I should vary the arrangement on a future occasion, if using a tandem, would be to substitute a rotating handle for the lever in the case of the rear brake. It is one thing to have plenty of brake power at command. It is quite another to maintain the application of that power through the medium of the hands for a protracted period, almost beyond the possibilities of calculation of the stay-at-home wheelman. For this reason, the twisting handle pattern of the Bowden brake is more convenient, as if it is turned hard on, it will remain in that position, and thus relieve the hand of any pressure. For singles also, the Bowden brake is the most suitable for the rear wheel. Band brakes are powerful, but are no use on prolonged descents, as they soon get overheated. There is no reason why the rotating handle should not be used with the Bowden on a single as well as a tandem, but this should only be when two brakes are fitted. So far I have not seen a Bowden with a revolving handle that was quite as powerful as the lever patterns. And though it may be possible to make it so, i should be somewhat chary of recommending it for exclusive use in conjunction with a front wheel brake it is admirable if the rider prefers to depend upon one brake alone it should undoubtedly be fitted to the back wheel and act upon the rim which is the best place for withstanding a continuous application of retarding power instead of the comparatively intermittent braking to which one is accustomed at home There is no question, moreover, as to the back wheel being an infinitely better place than the front for the fitting of a brake. The rear framework is stronger than the forecarriage, for one thing, and there is also the important factor that a greater degree of power can be applied to the back wheel than the front, without affecting the steering. Where sudden application is concerned, moreover, when the machine is travelling at high speed, a powerful front brake will have a tendency to slew the rear frame round, and on a grassy surface it will skid accordingly a back-wheel brake has a much greater margin of safety in this respect the rims themselves are a matter for consideration it is not to be inferred that a rider must of necessity convert his existing machine into a stronger article before setting out to switzerland but it is most certainly worth the while of every tourist who is about to order a new mount to specify a tandem rim to the back wheel if not the front as well even if he confines his wanderings a wheel to the united kingdom alone he will in no way penalise himself as the difference in weight between a tandem and ordinary rim respectively is about two ounces only for alpine descents moreover the application of the brake may be so prolonged that the tandem rim is undoubtedly desirable as there is less likelihood of it being pulled out of truth by the strain With regard to the section of rim to be employed, my own experience leads me to believe that there is nothing to choose between one or another of the leading types as regards the tendency to go out of truth. It is especially advisable, however, that the brake blocks, as first fitted, should conform as far as possible to the shape of the rim, and if they have broad flat faces and are applied to the channel of the westward rim or the new brazeless pattern of the jointless, they should be trimmed until they touch the whole surface of the groove instead of the edges only care should be taken also to ensure that the brake shoes impinge upon the rims at the correct angle as there is a wide difference in this respect between the various types tyre troubles are never welcome in alpine regions they are simply hateful as regards mere punctures they are not more likely to occur upon the passes than elsewhere and are even less probable as one has neither thorns nor broken glass to fear but gashes from sharp stones or nails must needs be guarded against there is no necessity whatever to fit tandem tyres to a single but the covers should be full roadsters not road racers and if either be badly cut or worn it would not be amiss to add a smith's band in any case both covers should be removed before the start and every cut should be well lined with canvas an hour or so devoted to this object will be well repaid in immunity from bursts through the giving way of the fabric wherever it has been weakened by a gash and succumbs in time to the pressure of the inner tube a good deal else may be done to the machine before the start to obviate trouble at a more inconvenient time particularly would i direct attention to the foot rests Those commonly available in England are of two kinds. One is fitted by being opened at the outer end, passed round the fork blade, and then tightened by a screw outside the latter. In the other type, the footrest is clamped to the fork blade, and secured by a screw on the inside. Now the radical difference between these two is that the consequences are so much more serious in the one case than the other if the footrest is insecurely fitted, and a slippage occurs at an unexpected moment. In the first type, there is no more projection inside the fork-blade than the thickness of the sheet steel. But in the second type, the bolt and nut stand out considerably, and if they were not firmly fixed, and the footrests slip downwards, the spokes of most machines would be ripped out at once, and a serious accident ensue. Indeed, deaths have been reported from this very cause in my own experience i have known a footrest slip down the fork blade of a tandem when the riders were travelling at the rate of twenty five miles an hour and only the fact that the former type of rest was employed prevented a probable fatality as the machine had an exceptionally narrow clearance the moral of course is to take care in any case that the footrests are well screwed up but vibration may loosen even a tight bolt and personally i only use the second type of fixture on machines of which the forks are wide enough to make the tearing of the spokes impossible the footrests play so important a part in alpine touring that i feel it necessary to devote a paragraph to this item especially as at home one is apt to regard these accessories as once fitted always fitted and never accord them even a passing thought Nothing further is required in the way of special provision for an alpine journey, so far as concerns the equipment of the machine. One has merely to take the ordinary precautions in the way of general overhauling. Of course, the chain should be put in thoroughly good condition. If it runs habitually in an oil bath, however, nothing more is needed than a cleansing of the gear case with paraffin and the recharging with a fresh supply of oil, which should be of the heavy syrupy type such as viscolium. The chain bolt should be examined and tightened up anew if it has become at all loose, and the process of flushing and relubricating of every bearing throughout the machine should be gone through without fail. If the machine has been in use for some time, the pedal attachments, crank cutters, head bolts and seat pillar bolt should all be scrutinised for any signs of wear, and the valves, if of the woods type, should be fitted with new rubber sleeves all these are merely the usual precautions which the experienced tourist has learned to take wherever his holiday may be planned for but they are doubly necessary in respect of the alps at home there is a plenitude of cycle shops at which repairs may be executed and supplies obtained and there is always the railway to fall back upon in the past country there is neither the one nor the other alternative and any irreparable accident or the loss of a fitting or tool that cannot be replaced, is a much more inconvenient and even more serious a matter. Assuming that the tourist has made his selection of a cycle, or attended to the equipment and overhauling of an existing machine, on the lines I have laid down, there yet remain two directions in which some measure of additional precaution is required. The first concerns the provision of tools and spare fittings the second relates to the care of the cycle while the tour is actually in progress there are good and sufficient reasons why one should be more provident in the matter of spanners repair outfits and the like in the first place such a thing as theft on the railway journey is not unknown the last time for example that i journeyed by train to davos platz i discovered on arrival that my tool bag had been rifled and that i was bereft of a spanner oil can and repair outfit an experience which suggested the advisability of using a padlock for the future. Secondly, it is very easy to lose a wrench when attending to some little roadside adjustment or repair in a country that abounds in precipices and wooded ravines. The implement may only drop onto the road, or it may slip away down a slope to a point where it is beyond recovery. If the rider be touring alone, he should assuredly not reduce the contents of his tool bag to the most limited dimensions and if with a party it will not pay for the members thereof to cooperate by agreeing to divide their pumps repair outfits and the like in the proportion of one say to every pair of riders each unit of the party should be fully equipped for he never knows but what he may get separated from the others just at the time when he may most need their assistance for example a party may be coasting down a long descent and soon fall into extended single file. The rear rider may be less daring than his fellows, and just when he has dropped a little way behind, he may sustain a puncture. The last rider but one may have just rounded a corner and be out of earshot, and the unlucky individual who has to dismount is in a peculiarly unpleasant predicament if he has no repair outfit, having agreed to go shares with one of the men in front. What may then happen is this. That the others go flying down perhaps for several miles revelling in the intoxicating delights of an alpine coast ere the absence of the rear man is discovered naturally they do not care to face the toilsome ascent and have to wait while the luckless one makes up his lost ground at a walking pace and nobody concerned will be in the best of tempers when the reunion is complete each rider should be amply provided against contingencies of this sort and so far from disdaining to carry a repair outfit he should even go to the length of avoiding the trumpery tackle usually sold under that name and take instead a good fat tube of solution and enough patching rubber to enable him to cope with the possible contingency of a burst or slit tyre the places where solution may be obtained are few and far between and cycle tools are nearly as scarce there is a cycle shop at st moritz and one at at the latter place, by the way, I introduced the proprietor to a free wheel, rim brakes, and even a gear case for the first time. At Davos Platz, I got an oil can and an apology for a spanner at an ironmonger's, but there was no cycle shop there, up to 1899. I know of no other place in the whole of the district I have described where anything in the cycling line is procurable. It is of course impossible to go to the length of carrying actual spare parts in case of a broken crank or pedal or the like. But at least the rider should carry a spare link or two of his chain, a chain bolt, a valve, spare blocks for his rim brakes, and even a few balls. Except the brake blocks, probably none of these will be required, but if they are wanted, they will be wanted badly, for it must be remembered that a walk down a pass in case of breakdown is almost as fatiguing as a climb a very handy thing to carry moreover is a length of copper wire the use of which has almost died out since the solid tire was displaced but which i have often found of great service in more ways than one a pair of pliers should not be forgotten nor a small but effective screwdriver then too there is wisdom in being a little faddy as regards the provision of spare straps elastic bands a ball of string and luggage labels. They may all come in usefully at times. The care of the cycle from day to day involves only the ordinary attentions, save in two respects. So much coasting will be indulged in that the machine will inevitably be exposed to greater degrees of vibration and strain, and it is desirable in consequence to apply the test of the spanner to the nuts a little oftener than usual and in particular to watch the chain bolt the wear of the brake blocks too unless kept in view may result in the discovery that command is lacking on a steep descent when urgently required and the experience is far from welcome the blocks may not require renewal even at the end of a fortnight but they are almost certain to require adjustment and cannot be watched too carefully it is so easy to forget these details in the desire to be up and doing as each morning comes round that i set forth these desiderata even at the risk of appearing unduly cautious End of chapter 17.